G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, our off-season editions. And uh, I know we go nationwide and in fact globally, but uh, where we are recording from in Melbourne town, pretty big moment here because after what seems like centuries of lockdown, we are about to emerge from the funk of lockdown at midnight on the day we record this podcast. That is Thursday, the 21st of October. It's a big moment. And uh, I don't know, I've just got visions of uh, scenes like the end of World War II with, you know, soldiers grabbing women on the street and kissing them. Uh, Hopefully not because they'll get arrested if they try that one on about 70 years down the track. But uh, there could be chaotic scenes as Melbourne goes mad with relief, as I say, a very good morning to my Footyology podcast co-host, Mark Fine. You excited about the prospect, Finey? Oh, moderately so. Yeah, yeah. look, I am. I'm certainly excited about Doesn't the Doesn't sound like of, it. Well, I'm not, because it's not really... I'll be excited when it's back to normal in toto. We are stepping back into some sort of normality and there are going to be restrictions and part of the restrictions will be, quite sensibly, still distancing and masks, et cetera, et cetera. So I just look forward to when we can all get back to real normality. That being said, it is good to be stepping out of lockdown. Well, I mean, just just for people like uh, restaurant owners, cafe owners, people who haven't been able to operate normally for so long now, and um, I'm not sure how long lockdown six has lasted. It's up around 80 plus days, I think, isn't it? But they just all tend to run into one another now. In fact, I go back to about March last year before uh, you sort of get back to a period even basically resembling uh, normality. So I I don't know what to expect, to to be honest. I don't know if I might have developed a bit of agoraphobia uh, as well. I've heard a few people talking about this, actually being a bit uh, reluctant to get out in crowds and get out on the road because we're so unused to it. Uh, It's going to be weird. Have you thought about just, you know, sort of walking into the city and having a walk around with other human beings, seeing what that feels like, finding? I'll tell you what, I haven't thought about doing it with other human beings, but I actually went into town last night to pick up some Chinese takeaway. And it is a ghost. It was a ghost town. And I must say, down Little Burke Street, gee, a lot of restaurants have closed. And I just wonder what things will look like when we're back to normal. And hopefully those restaurants will find new proprietors and new reasons to come alive. But it really did look very sad, the city. I know it lacked people, but it also has a lot of stores that have closed down. 
Well, a lot of people have done it uh, very tough for a long time now. Let's hope they and we as a community can bounce back. And uh, across Australia, of course, people in pretty different circumstances now, but uh, we know there's a lot of sympathy for Melbourne, uh, apart from one media organisation which actually resides here, but that's another story. Uh, all right, plenty of football happening too. We'll uh, get into talking about what's going on in the footy world right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, uh, pretty hard to get away from talking about coronavirus, uh, the pandemic, lockdown, vaccinations, uh, constant uh, topics on the news agenda for uh, well over. Uh, no, just on a couple of years now. And, um, of course, much of that discussion entering the football lexicon as well, particularly this week where a number of things happened. Firstly, Adelaide uh, AFLW player Denny Varnhagen um, wasn't prepared to commit to getting the vaccine, so that caused a fair bit of angst. And then Melbourne Premiership player Tom McDonald uh, got his name in the headlines uh, by calling it ethically wrong to force people to be vaccinated. That prompted a uh, fairly savage reaction on social media and among various commentators, but there was some interesting reaction too. And uh, someone who did speak quite passionately about this issue, Finey, was um, a former footy media or footy media colleague of ours and uh, one of the great blokes in football, former Tiger legend Matthew Richardson, who uh, didn't specifically refer to Tom McDonald, but it was quite pointed what he had to tweet, which was, for someone with a close family member with a serious illness and compromised immune system, it staggers me that you wouldn't get vaccinated. It's not just about you and your choice. Uh, that got a lot of support, as you'd understand. But uh, it's a, uh, dare I say, vexed or vaxed issue. Finally, uh, how did you find this whole little storyline during the week? Yeah, look, it is it's, it is a vexed and well, well played on the word there, vexed issue, because we do live in a society where there is freedom of choice and I guess... In the broader sense, you can say that we can't force anybody to do anything. But within that framework, there is a clear, and I, I put this out last week in a rant, you know, there is a clear light at the end of the tunnel. There's, we've been shown the way out. Whether, it's, whether we agree with it or not, the fact is that at various milestones of levels of vaccinated, fully vaccinated adults, then we step out of lockdown at different levels to the point where I think when we get to 80%, life returns pretty much to normal. Now, isn't that what everybody's craving? Isn't that what's fair for business people? Isn't that what's the healthier option for the country? Isn't that what we all want? And to get there, you just have to sometimes and on this occasion, very much consider other people. And I think that's what Matthew Richardson was pointing out. Don't worry about your own rights. Think about other people. Think about the people that have suffered by 
losing their businesses through lockdown. Think about people that are in a difficult situation with a uh, autoimmune diseases and personal health that really compromises them. And stop being selfish and just do what we've asked the whole community to do, and that is get vaccinated as best as we can against this disease. It's simple, well, the, isn't it? Yeah, well, the, the main, I would have thought the main issue here is uh, making sure our hospitals don't get um, overworked. Well, they already are overworked. I mean, some of the anecdotal tales I've heard from people uh, who have family members who are healthcare workers that are uh, quite frightening. But, I mean, we can't afford to have our hospital system overrun. That means we've got to keep as many people out of it as we can so it can deal with the the day-to-day illnesses and treatments that uh, they have to provide. So it's about that as well. And, yeah, it's about being prepared to do something for other people. That's what gets on my wick about all this, you know, the talk about individual liberties. I mean, you know, is it that big a hill to die on uh, that you'd imperil the health and well-being of other people who are more vulnerable to the disease and you'd you'd imperil the um, effective working of the healthcare system. I mean, so, you know, it shouldn't be a discussion about individual liberties as far as I'm concerned. It should be a discussion about doing the right thing by other people. Maybe, Maybe this issue becomes a demarcation line for, you know, a broader philosophical thing about people who are so hung up on, you know, libertarian ideals and everyone living their own life and not having a safety net, not pitching in to help other people and people who are more community-minded. Well, uh, I certainly hope from a humane point of view that there's more of a ladder than the former. Otherwise, we're all going to die and go to hell because no one will give us stuff about anyone else. Now, it's a bit philosophical, but I think in issues like this, Finey, unless we do have some semblance of a community spirit and people willing to give other than for themselves, we're in big trouble. We are so, I agree entirely, we have so lost a sense of uh, the greater good. I mean, do you really believe that a generation of Australian, young Australian men really wanted to go to Europe and fight in the First World War, but there was a, a mis, and it was misplaced sense of duty that sent a lot of them there. And then the Second World War, and and now we've got a situation where you're just being asked to get vaccinated. It's been made so easy for you that they're putting vaccination, um, the places to get vaccinated are just being placed everywhere right to your local pharmacy. You even get to go in a million dollar drawer if you get vaccinated. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't hurt. We're all vaccinated at school and we didn't bat an eyelid. It just happened. We weren't asked, we just happened. But now everybody's got to be, you know, and I blame, I don't blame the internet, but it's part of social media and the spread of misinformation and et cetera. Everybody almost has to um, exhibit, or some people need to exhibit a greater sense of understanding or intelligence by not getting vaccinated, as though to say to the rest of the community, I'm smart, you're not. Well, I'll tell you what, they're not smart. 
All right, well, let's move on. Uh, pure footy stuff. Uh, there's been a heap about this week, to be honest, but one story I'm sure would have caught your eye, Finey, is uh, St Kilda's continued pursuit of backup Ruckman. And uh, they flirted with uh, Tristan Zeri from North Melbourne, didn't come off. North Melbourne wanted uh, what St Kilda wasn't prepared to give, but the quest hasn't finished there because North recently delisted uh, backup Ruckman for them in Tom Campbell, former Western Bulldog. Uh, he ended up spending, I think, three or four seasons with the Roos, but now the Saints apparently interested in the services of Tom Campbell. What do you make of that one? Well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't smell great because St Kilda last year got Sean McKernan into the club and that didn't amount to anything. And I guess there's a sort of sense of St Kilda wasting some list spots on players that really don't offer much of a future. But Campbell would be there as backup because Ryder is 34. St Kilda has Paul Hunter that they're still mulling over whether or not to offer another season to. So they do need some ruck backup. Unfortunately, because they weren't able to make a play for successful play for first Hayden McLean of the Swans and then Zeri, they're really left with not many choices. Yeah, yeah six of one, half a dozen of the other. He's a trier, Tom Campbell, but very much would be back up. And I guess the, the hope would be that you wouldn't see him too much. Yeah, well, he's uh, 29, I think. Um, he played more senior footy than, than Zeri. And, yeah, I think he's looked okay on occasions. But, yeah, um, obviously, uh, number one shot in the locker is having Ryder and uh, Rowan Marshall out there as your main combination. be interesting to see what they do with Hunter as well. Uh, another one, just by the by, we've seen Eddie Betts retire as a player and head down the highway to Geelong in a uh, development coaching role, but he's still going to be playing at some level. Finally, he's signed up to play in the NTFL or whatever it's called those days with Palmerston at the age of 34. So the hot, wet, humid, tropical summer, uh, Eddie is going to be playing footy throughout that. What a marvel. Still going. Yeah, and it's interesting footy, of course, because you do see quite a few former AFL footballers, many of them Indigenous playing. Uh, Rath Clark was playing in that competition till I think last year might have been his last season. But a number of players that played at AFL level do play there. And I think Eddie would um, be probably fit enough and still near enough to his playing weight to be a very dangerous forward pocket in that competition. Well, uh, there is some pretty decent footy played. Uh, I was actually up there last February when the season was going on and I've, uh, I've watched now the last couple of um, NTFL grand finals, which are available on streaming and uh, pretty good standard. We've had a couple of absolute thrillers too. So it uh, be interesting to see what sort of impact Eddie has on the competition playing for Palmerston, uh, I'd suggest it would be a considerable impact indeed. Uh, now, another story, uh, you drew my attention to this one. I would have missed it otherwise, but uh, pretty uh, left field. And that is former North Melbourne and Adelaide forward, Brad Moran, now 35, uh, or forward Ruckman. 
has, um, well, it's fair to say his post-football career has ended up a bit more profitably than his AFL career did because he has just sold a tech business uh, internationally for the uh, rather considerable sum finding of $205 million. That is about 100 times what he made playing AFL before his career was cut short. Tell us a few details about this story. Well, first of all, the company is called Citrus Ad and they are involved with the online, selling of online advertising space to supermarkets and supermarket clients, in other words, uh, companies that have their products in supermarkets. So the exact details, as is often the case with online businesses, is a little unclear to myself and the general public. Suffice to say, caught the interest of a French mega company who's paid 205 million Australian for it. Now, it's not just his company, but he is, I think, with a partner, the principals, and so important are they that in this new construct, he retains a position as chief executive. So he'll be drawing a huge wage. Basically, he's a multi-multi-millionaire now with more money than you can imagine, which, to be honest, now, I'm not, I don't want to be rude here, but Brad Moran, just on a couple of things, would have been the last person, one of the last people, I would have thought, out of AFL football, to be a mega success in the business world. Why do I say this? Because he had a very interesting penchant for dyeing his hair blonde, which really didn't suit him. But he also did something quite extraordinary because he played for North Melbourne and he played the year after Wayne Carey left and he put his hand up and said he wanted to be number 18. And then he went to Adelaide and played the year after Carey left and he said he wanted to be number two. So he twice took Wayne Carey's number after Wayne Carey, which... I don't reckon he's that bright a thing to do, but turns out he's a very bright boy. Well, it's certainly uh, payday for him. Yeah, I was, I was trying to remember probably the, the most publicity he ever got was about inheriting Kerry's number at North Melbourne. Uh, for what it's worth, he ended up in five seasons, missed the entirety of 2010, but between 2006, 2011, uh, he played just three senior games for the Kangaroos. He played 18 games for the Crows. So a total of 21 games over five seasons, plenty of injuries. But, uh, boy, uh, what a profitable business venture that has been. So uh, there's a bit of footy news for you. Uh, very loosely connected footy news. But Brad Moran, blast from the past, now a multi, multi-millionaire thanks to the tech business. And I, right. I should say something about his footy role. Yep. I know I've made light of his career. He was born in England, moved to the Gold Coast, and he never played or touched an AFL football till he was 15. So pretty good effort to play at the AFL level, given that background. Well, there you go. 
uh, well done, Brad Moran, uh, both uh, in terms of coming to football and in coming to business and in becoming a rich bugger indeed. All right, that is enough news for this week. Uh, it's time to take a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Footy flashbacks. Radio footy flashback time and uh, open slather in the off season. Uh, we don't need to be guided by any particular week or whatever. Uh, and I don't know why I've gone with this one particularly. It just popped into my head. And it is a game between North Melbourne and Adelaide in round nine, 2013 at uh, Marvel Stadium. Then I think it was then Etihad Stadium. And uh, North Melbourne had had a bit of ill fortune in the start to that season, had already lost uh, a couple of games by under a kick. In fact, three games, I think, by under four points. Well, this would become their fourth. And from a position, you thought they couldn't possibly lose. Uh, Let's have a listen to the thrilling final few minutes of North Melbourne up against Adelaide, round nine, 2013. Well done. Breaks away. Kicks inside the forward 50. They come from all directions. Loose at the back. Chance for Black. Stolen away by Talia. Taken high. And Talia will get the free kick. They haven't paid a lot of free kicks this afternoon. They favour North. 15 to 13. Here's Otten. Short to Jenkins. No freeze behind the ball for North Melbourne either. So they're playing this one-on-one up the ground. Can Jenkins get it over the back? I think he has. Bouncing ball, Lynch down low, Paul Pleasure, we've talked about him, back to Lynch, oh Lynch sidestep and then goes with a long one, will it be a goal, it's going to be a goal because that guy has done it again, Kerridge, he's going to get this through as quickly as he can, Adelaide within a goal, can you believe it? Andre throw in, over the top, Sloan aware of that, knocks it down, opposite number nine's got it, they swallow, comes free, Vince dug it out, Douglas again, kicks it down towards half four, just wants some traffic. Well, he went to the pack just hoping to get some spill, and the mark has been taken by Atley. Now it's a free kick going to his teammate in Petrie. Clock stops, but now it starts. You must go to him, you must go to him. Petrie, milking the clock, kicks it towards the outer side wing. Big leap out there, Goldstein. Jenkins, a half chance, taken down. Kerridge, the unlikely hero. Kicks to full forward. Anything can happen here. Here we go. It's a goal. Can you believe it? It's extraordinary. Uh, Petrenko, the late inclusion during the week, an indigenous round. Adelaide have come from nowhere and Brad Scott's nightmare has continued. There is time, but this has been remarkable. What about that ball then from Jenkins as well? You talked about his bulldog style of play, but he just forced himself through that contest. And Kerridge's input in this second half has been remarkable. Lingy, what happens from here? Oh, get numbers behind the ball. Get them all behind the ball for the Crows. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine there now. Timmy, this is almost a coach killer in some respects, you know. I mean, this is going to be a hot week. Here we go. Rucks go at it. Just seconds remaining in Adelaide win it. 
He'll run for as far as he can, Vincent, just chip it out wide, pull Placewitz to Oliva. Adelaide, they're going to pull off a miracle. Adelaide, a miracle in Etihad, and a Sunday afternoon with the dome closed. They're home and hosed. What a game. I mean, an amazing finish. The commentary, actually, I found fascinating. Dennis Cometti actually suggesting that a loss to North Melbourne might have been a coach killer. It wasn't. We know that. And it's like Bruce was a, a kid reading a book and had to get to the ending before he finished the last chapter because he kept asking his fellow commentators, the special comments folk, what happens from here? Just wait till the end of the game, Bruce. You'll find out what happens. Well, Dennis was uh, very animated for Dennis. But, uh, well, here's why. I mean, that was just the last couple of minutes. But the bottom line is that North Melbourne led this game by 30 points as late as the 16th minute of the final quarter. Um, And uh, the Crows promptly kicked the last five of the game, three of them coming to Sam Kerridge. Uh, if ever any player had a defining AFL performance, that was it for Sam Kerridge. He played 65 games for both the Crows and the Blues. He only kicked uh, more than two goals in games three times, and this was easily his PB. He kicked uh, three of the last five goals, and that gave him a total of six, including that one you heard, which... Um, uh, leveled the scores, or sorry, put the Crows within a goal and then they got another point and uh, the go-ahead goal, of course, coming from Jared Petrenko with just a handful of seconds left on the clock. Lindsay Thomas kicked five for the Roos. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brad Scott looking very, very unhappy at the end of that game and understandably, first nine games of the season and North by now had lost four of them by four point or five points or less. Um, unbelievable stuff there by the Crows and a fantastic comeback by them. I hope Crows supporters got some enjoyment out of that. Uh, what have you got for us flashback-wise today, Fanny? Let's go all the way back to 1980. And I guess it was to prove to be very much a false dawn, but... Excitement at Moorabbin with the appointment of Alex Jezelenko as coach. Uh, it was never going to be long before he took over as coach from Mike Patterson. And, of course, St Kilda had had a draw with Richmond. And then the big game against the Bombers. Now, this game may be famous or an infamous moment with, of course, Graham Carberry, the boundary umpire, invading the personal space of Phil Carmen. But I've left that out because this is all about a very exciting finish, a great comeback by the Bombers, who were, I think, three goals down at three-quarter time. But St Kilda kicked the first two goals of the last quarter, so 30 points down. They dragged it all the way back to within just a handful of points, three points. And, in fact, as you'll hear had a chance to win the game off the boot of a very famous son. So let's have a listen to St Kilda getting a win for Jezza over the Bombers in 1980. Nearly a great mark by Carmen, taken away by Dunn, across here towards Colling. Colling's in trouble because there's plenty of Essendon players there and Tim Watson gets a kick along the ground which didn't cover much distance. Colling is there. 
Great scramble of players finally coming out with it. Looks like Bennett. Bennett kicks it down towards the full forward for Essendon. Nearly a mark, and there's a chance for Duperuzel. Can't get out of trouble. Simon Madden, a hand pass across here to Watson. Watson will pick it up and snap a goal. That's his third goal. Well, this game might have lacked a bit for a couple of quarters, but it's really alive in the last quarter. Huge crowd at Moorabbin. And they're almost lifting the roofs off the grandstands. Eight minutes gone in the final term. St Kilda leading by 20 points, so it's as you were at three-quarter time. But the Bombers have pegged back those couple that St Kilda stole early. Approaching the eight-and-a-half-minute mark of the final term, umpire Morgan, Saru takes it out of the air. He's well tackled by Stoneham. Colling, strong play, gets it to Green, backed up by Bromberg. Long hand pass, gives the chance to Burns. Can go for a long run. Now side-bottom versus Merritt. Side-bottom uses the body, couldn't hold it. Neil Danaher and Merritt almost muffed it. Now it's Russell Muir. The left-footer into no-man's land. Bouncing just on the wrong side of the boundary line for Muir, so a free kick to St Kilda will be taken by McDonald. A long way out from goal, out on that half-forward flank. But the Saints are in possession. Waiting for the St Kilda player, McDonald. The umpire's portioning back nearer the boundary line. There's the kick by McDonald, up towards the forward pocket. Looking for and finding... Yes, he has found uh, Cunningham. Cunningham. That's number five. Guernsey throws me with him. He tends to the centre half forward. Yes! What a magnificent mark by the master. O'Day to take it. He's done a magnificent job on Madden. Eleventh kick, but uh, that doesn't tell the full story. To the wing. Bennett up. Oh, Nagel, what a great mark by the little fellow. But the Bombers have got to move it. 29 minutes gone. Kick from Nagel. Number 24 into half forward. Olsen Kilda. The mark missed. The Bombers have a chance here. Watson gets out of the floor. Now it's a behind. So the margin, three points. Essendon 12-8. St Kilda 11-17. 29 and a half minutes. And the average in the match so far has been 29. So the siren must be seconds away. And Ian, I don't think we'll hear it with the uh, roar from this crowd. No. Well, no matter about the St Kilda supporters. I, was, I saw this game last week once they played a draw. And there's the kick out by O'Day. Good long kick. Carmen from the back. No mark. Big stack of players. The umpire will ball it up. And this will add a few more seconds to the time. Well, titanic finish, uh, another narrow Essendon loss at Moorabbin. Uh, went through a couple of them as a youngster. Finally, of course, the uh, Animals game a couple of years before in 1978. Uh, this one, as you say, the Saints led for virtually the whole game and um, uh, would have been stiff to lose it. The Bombers did come back in the end, but uh, pretty hard for an Essendon supporter not solely to associate this game with Phil Carmen because Carmen had come to Essendon for 1980 
and had been absolutely superb in the first three games. Uh, I'll never forget it. He played well against North Melbourne in the first game. Second game um, against Richmond at the MCG was terrific, and Essendon had a big win in that uh, big game in front of a huge crowd. And then they played uh, South Melbourne out at Waverley the following week. And, hey, in fact, I watched that game just recently, and he was superb in that too. So Essendon had started the season really well, and he was just in vintage form, really felt like he had a point to prove after his time at Collingwood and then one pretty ill-fated season with Melbourne the year before. And, uh, in fact, where I was standing in the outer that day, it was hard to tell what had happened, but we got the reports sort of filtering through on the radio and straight away you knew that, uh, well, that was pretty much curtains, you know, <laughs> Uh, interfere with the boundary umpire and expect to get away scot-free. And uh, Carmen, in fact, ended up getting four weeks for a strike on, I think it was Doug Booth, and uh, 16 weeks for headbutting boundary umpire Graham Carberry. And Essendon that season uh, did start well, but ended up missing out on the finals. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise because Barry Davis resigned and that brought one K Sheedy to Essendon. That, of course, had some pretty reasonable ramifications. The other thing about this game finding from a St Kilda perspective, the Saints only won four games this season. Two of them were against Essendon. This was the first of them in a beautiful, balmy April Saturday afternoon. The second one was one of the wettest, coldest days I've ever spent at the footy out in Waverley. Do you remember that one? That was the coldest game I've ever been to. I went with my brother-in-law, an ardent Essendon supporter. And as you know, Rowan, I don't drink coffee. I bought a coffee and poured it on my shoes. (laughs) That was the coldest I have ever, ever been at the football. I think Greg Burns kicked a late goal and won it for the Saints. Yeah, I don't know why I'm thinking the name Simon Meehan pops into my head for some reason. But uh... You know, that game, that game there with that we just heard audio from, I mean, talk about a false dawn, just for a moment you thought, surely not, but yes, Jezzet Magic had come to St Kilda, but boy, did that rub off quickly, Rob. Yeah, well, uh, well, I didn't finish on the bottom that year, unlike the four years in a row in the mid-80s <laughs> when they won the wooden spoon. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, mediocre times for both our clubs. All right, uh, good footy flashbacks. Uh, we'll come back with a couple more next week, but it's time to wrap up the show with the longest standing, uh, world famous segment of the Footyology podcast. Let's do it. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, rant off time. Uh, Open slather with rant off in the off-season. So it doesn't just have to be a football theme. And that could lead us in various uh, directions. But uh, as you know, Fonny, I'm a prolific uh, Twitter user and reader and observer. And uh, fair to say, Twitter blew up yesterday over one particular piece. And it was, uh, let's say, a controversial column written by former journalist, uh, liberal MP, Prue Goward, uh, which uh, sort of turned the clock back, not just a few years, but a few centuries in her 
observations about the alleged underclass in this country. So that is my theme. I'm ready to go. Will you count me in, please? I can. I already know this ain't going to be timid. I'm looking forward to it. One, two, three. Let's have it. I'm pissed off with Prue Goward, finding. Who's that, you ask? Well, among other things, Prue is the mother of former entitled brat supermodel Kate Fisher turned celebrity reality TV contestant Sapora Malka. That probably explains a bit about the former Kate's car crash of a life, but not as much as what I'm about to read to you. Prue Goward was an ABC journalist turned Liberal Party politician in the New South Wales Parliament and a sex discrimination commissioner. She's a professor at Western Sydney University. She's also, if you extrapolate this incredible column she wrote in the Australian Financial Review yesterday, a bit of a would-be fan of the idea of eugenics. Prue decided to have a bit of a look at the burden that, quote, the poor, unquote, impose on society. I kid you not, it was like something out of a Dickens novel. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who had to read it a couple of times to make sure it wasn't satire. Sadly, it wasn't. Here's a sample. The tone set right from the start in the blurb, which reads, they are damaged, lacking in trust and self-discipline and highly self-interested. But the poor are still a force that Australia needs to properly harness. Quote, since the 1950s, there's been a remarkable growth in the number of proles, she writes. Proles, an old-fashioned shorthand for the proletariat. She continues, they are overrepresented in their use of government crisis services and are always the last to give up smoking, get their shots, and eat two servings of vegetables a day. Quote, despite the billions of dollars governments invest in changing the lives of proles, their number increases. Their birth rates far outstrip those of professional couples, and they are now a significant potential contributor to our workforce. Quote, the underclass is not always a happy place to be, and bumping into the rest of the world mostly does not go well, dot, dot, dot. And yet, I like them, unquote. And so on, and so on, and so on. Condescending, patronising, classist garbage from an overly entitled twat without even enough self-awareness of her own privilege to recognise how that sort of language would come across. Seriously, all that was missing from this deeply offensive piece was that line from French queen Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Predictably, there was a furious backlash to Goward's column, not just on social media, but from a range of people working in the welfare and community sectors. Goward herself, though, was mystified by the reaction. She told The Guardian she was deeply disappointed that her column had been, quote, so badly misunderstood. But she said, quote, opinion pieces are meant to provoke, and I hope it's helped the readers of the Financial Review think differently about those at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. Differently how exactly, Prue? As in how they or them, as you wrote dismissively, could be, in your words, harnessed better? Literally, perhaps? Maybe we could tie them to the front of a cart instead of horses. Maybe we could introduce slavery here for anyone without a gross annual income of more than $60,000. I mean, good hired help is just so hard to come by these days. Slavery would create a whole new job sector, unpaid admittedly, but at least it would keep the great unwashed off the streets. And imagine how it could free up more worthy but time-poor people like yourself to get their very important duties done. Maybe that can be your follow-up piece, Prue, because this was some pretty deranged stuff. 
And to think that people like you have actually had control over government legislation and philosophy is pretty bloody scary. As to the paper that chose to run this crap without batting an eyelid, the Australian Financial Review has always had a bit of a tin ear, but this is a new low, even for the mob who brought you the infamous magazine piece on Gladys Berejiklian in a few months back called The Woman Who Saved Australia. That worked out well for you guys. And if there was any justice in the world, Prue Goward's effort at recreating some 19th century imagery would end similarly for her, putting the stocks and getting pelted with the two serves of vegetables those pesky little proles aren't eating. Well, because of your pointed tweet yesterday, I read that article. I'm still not sure it's fair, Dinkum, and I'm still not sure why the Financial Review would run it. I mean, well, because they're a bunch of twats too, funny. They, they don't mix with real people. They don't live they, in the they, real world. I mean, that brings home more than anything that oft-used line by you, that disconnect between some of these people who are either editorialising or even newspaper editors themselves, how, how distant they've become from the people that they're selling their product to or writing for because surely there's an understanding that even if you're the Finn Review, anybody's allowed to buy your paper. It's not the, the in-house magazine for the, you know, for the far right, is it? Well, it might as well be, but uh, it's, uh, I just can't believe you can write about other human beings like that, like they're some sort of lab rats or, or, you know, animals in a David Attenborough documentary or something. It was just bizarre. Anyway. I'm, I'm, sure, the, I'm sure the final scene in this, this play is letters to Prue Goward will be put in the basket that her head is about to be, you know, cut. When, when she's guillotined, she can read those letters in the basket. I mean, surely off with her head. Well, suits me. Um all right, uh, your turn. Uh, don't know where you're going. I haven't asked, but uh, I'm sure it's topical. I'm going to count you yeah, in not, now. A, not as serious, but topical. All right, three, two, one, rant. You may be hearing this podcast in Melbourne out of lockdown. We certainly are putting it down just prior to being released from lockdown, at least in part in Melbourne, after what seems an eternity. And I think most of us, are pretty pleased with the freedoms that are going to come with the end of lockdown. But a warning, a major warning. We have become spoiled and used to a luxury that is about to disappear forever. And I need not remind you, do I, of what the past was and what the future holds. I speak of traffic in Melbourne, driving, even though we've been in lockdown, we've had to go to the shops, buy some food or maybe visit a loved one within the restricted area. So we've got in the car. And hasn't it been a pleasure driving along, our main, driving along our main thoroughfares in fairly prompt time without too much traffic? Well, that is going to be a thing of the past, long forgotten, very, very soon. Don't forget that this town was constricted by traffic problems before we entered into lockdown one, two, three, four, five, or six, and it's going to come back and with a vengeance. Roadworks 
are still there. Building works exist and there'll be more young females and pot-bellied men holding those signs up slow and go than you can imagine. Three loans will be down to two, two down to one. Cyclists will be back, so keep an eye out for them. There's going to be peak hour, school drop-off, school pick-up, school zones and other zones. Footy traffic's not far away. There's going to be road closures for everything from festas to fiestas. And level crossing works will be befuddled by tram works and traffic lights that don't works. Believe you me, Melbourne is about to become a car park again. There's going to be a bingle in the Burnley Tunnel, and that'll mean a pile up all the way past VFL Park. It'll take three and a half days to do a lap around the Western Ring Road. The Westgate Bridge will be nothing more than a vantage point for the non-building of the Westgate Tunnel. The Baltic will be faulty. We'll begin, we'll get, pardon me, we'll return back to calling Punt Road something that rhymes with Punt Road and from Pasco Vale Road to North Road to Sydenham Road to Burke Road to Kingsway, it'll be no way, bumper to bumper, bad mood, going nowhere because let me tell you folks, the good times on Melbourne roads are over. We're back to gridlock and I'm counting the minutes. All right, you you are a uh, frequent complainer about when it comes to driving, aren't you? I mean, that one is totally uh, justified. There's two solutions to this, Finey. One is use public transport. The second one is don't go anywhere. Both of them, I mean, public transport, mm, I've just not ever been used to using a lot of public transport. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, not going anywhere doesn't doesn't bother me too much. Look, the fact is that we are over-reliant on cars and I am absolutely, you know, I wouldn't walk to the shops. I'm just so used to going places by car. Maybe maybe I'll be forced into rethinking, I guess. But Well, I started going to the football on the train uh, last time we were going to the football, actually, and it was uh, it was pleasantly surprising, both the convenience and the lack of aggravation about getting a car park at the footy and driving. So I'm, I'm going to try to do that a bit more. And I'm also planning to go out less, which after the last couple of years uh, won't require that much effort. I reckon, in all seriousness, I think the, uh, the working from home thing particularly might just actually ease up peak hour a little bit. You might see a bit of a change there, but there's no doubt traffic is a huge issue in Melbourne. So, uh, yeah, we haven't really had to put up with it for too long over the last couple of years. It's going to be a a salient reminder of how much our population has grown in the last couple of decades. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Well ranted. Well ranted. Nice alliteration uh, particularly. All right, that is it for the podcast this week. Of course, uh, next major event on the footy calendar, the National Draft coming up on the 24th and 25th of November. We've got a few podcasts to do before then, of course, and uh, we might just bring back a favourite segment or two, still working that out over the next couple of weeks. But uh, hope you enjoyed this. Stay tuned and uh, we'll catch you next week.